Brooklyn, New York. I'm Adam Teeter, and this is a VinePair Podcast Next Round Conversation. As everyone knows, we're bringing these conversations during the regular scheduled podcasts uh, in order to give people a better picture of what's happening uh, in the alcohol beverage industry. And today, I'm really uh, excited to be talking with Carrie Schaefer, the general manager of Bluepoint. Carrie, what's going on? Not much. Happy Friday. Excited to be here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we are recording on a Friday. I don't know when this will run, but for everyone oh. who listens, <laughs> it's all good. Um, Sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. For sure. For sure. Um, so, yeah, and it's actually really nice. It's like 70 degrees outside. Um, mm-hmm. I need to mm-hmm. get outside. So, uh, you know, obviously, Blue Point's a, a super storied brand. Um, you know, been around for over 30 years. You know, I, I'm curious, sort of, where do you see, you know, for me, I, I wasn't aware of Blue Point until I moved to New York. Uh, but then obviously I know ABI purchased the brand and it, it became even bigger. Where do you see sort of Blue Point sitting in like the world of craft beer? Um, you know, is it still, do you really, do you still consider a, a New York brand? Is it more of a national brand now? Um, sort of what, what is, what is Blue Point nowadays? Yeah. Oh man. That's like the existential question that we yeah. ask ourselves every day. Um no, I, I think so. Blue, so Blue Point is 23 years old. We're uh, we're not quite 30, but we are um, we are kind of uh, one of the OG uh, breweries, uh, craft breweries on the East Coast. Um, we are the original craft brewery on Long Island um, and one of the first in New York State. Um, so we're super proud that we're kind of here and we're, you know, still pumping out great beer and, and really focused on innovation 23 years after you know, the first uh, first batch went out to the local uh, Long Island distributor. Um, but I, I think in terms of how we view ourselves, um, you know, we, we still really, really are focused on our local community um, on Long Island itself, the greater kind of metro New York area. Um, we do have some distribution, um, some pretty strong distribution down the down up and down the East Coast. So Florida is actually a really big state for us. But if you think about it, we have a lot of New Yorkers and East Coasters that spend the winters down there. So it's not too much of a stretch to think that people want to drink the you know their toasted lager um, up in the summers in New York and then down in the winters in Florida. Um, but I think where we sit is kind of in this legacy uh, legacy craft brewery world. Um, but we have a lot of new kids on the block, as you can imagine, right? There, there are so, so many amazing breweries now producing great beer in our market, um, which obviously increases our competition. But in my mind, it actually kind of makes us step up to be on our A game. We can't, can't really rest on our laurels and just go with the status quo of the beers that have worked very well for us in the past. Um, it's really kind of influenced how we approach innovation. Um, you know, as we have over the last, you know, three to five years, um, we have a, a ton of local, hyper-local competition. Um, and the, uh, you know, we just, we keep trying new stuff and we just can't keep, can't believe how much good beer is coming out of, of our area right now. It's pretty, it's pretty inspiring. Yeah. It's pretty crazy how much, how many, you know, insane craft beers are in New York now. Is, uh, is Toasted Lager still the most popular Blue Point beer? Oh, yes. Uh, Toasted is still our number one. Um, that is really our our main brand. It's what we say keeps the lights on. Um, we we love Toasted Lager. It's it's continued to be a workhorse for us. Um, it's really one of the mo- most approachable beers in our portfolio. Um, we like to say that it, it is kind of a gateway beer for for their for people's first craft beer experiences. It gives them, you know, a little bit something different than. 
the kind of traditional domestic lagers and even the imports. Um, it pairs really well with food, all kinds of food, but it's not overly malty. It's not overly bitter. It's, it's just that perfect balance. So, you know, it, we still can see it, uh, you know, week after week and month after month, it's still in our top three beers that we're pouring at our brew pub out in Patchogue, which, oh, wow. okay. you know, after 23 years is pretty impressive, right. To not just see it on the shelf perform, but also see it, you know, just in our backyard. Right. Like where the diehards go. That's really exactly. Exactly. So one of the things I was curious about, um, because you are, you know, is is the brand completely national at this point? No, we um, okay. we we did expand Toasted Lager National at one point okay. a few years ago, but it it you know it's really hard for a brewery from Long Island to resonate with uh, you know a consumer in Southern California, yeah, um, especially without you know a kind of national media budget, right? Where, where you can, you know, spend millions and millions of dollars of really building awareness. So we pulled back um, and we are, we are sold pretty much uh, in every state up and down the East coast right now. Okay. So I, I do have a question there. Cause obviously, you know, someone listening to this podcast will be like, what do you mean they don't have a national media budget? They're owned by ABI. Um, <laughs> is there like, is, are there any other, I mean, obviously national media money is important, but are there any other strategic reasons? I think you sort of touched on them, but it's, it's so it's not often you get to talk to sort of more of a national craft brewery brand. Um, Are there more strategic sort of reasons for not going national that are close to what you alluded to that it's just, it's hard for some of these craft brands, even when they do get sort of bought by larger entities to be fully national, just because craft is so inherently local and people are so loyal to their thing, to their, their own brand. Yeah, I mean, you kind of answered your question itself. Is that <laughs> lo- local is king, right? And again, it's just what 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 do we what do we message um, as a brewery from the East Coast uh, out in the West Coast? So whether or not we have media dollars to support it or not, it's it's how do you how do you kind of approach a consumer? Because so much of what we do is centered around our what we call our home market, right? Our our home community. Um, and, and again, with our pub, right, we can, we can touch so many people who are actually coming on site and experiencing the brand firsthand. And so the further and further you get away from your kind of, uh, you know, your nest, um, the harder it is to, to be sticky. And, um, I, I think it's been, it's, it was a, it was a learning experience for us for sure. Uh, when we went national and then kind of right. had to, had, had to pull back, but, I, I think the the local piece of this is is always going to be the most important thing, right? Um, because we, you know, we we want to make sure that our beer experience is fresh, right? We're making our beer on the East Coast, so brewing it out in on the West Coast would create a lot of supply chain complexities too, right? Um, and so, yes, we are owned by Anheuser Busch, and we do have a lot more resources than we did when we were an independent craft brewery, but just because we can, we could go national doesn't mean it was the right thing to do. And I think that that was, if anything, it kind of solidified that we really need to invest in our backyard and make sure that our, our consumer is happy in our backyard. Cause that's where the majority of our business has been and will, will continue to be. Interesting. Yeah. I think there's a lot of questions always people have right about, um, you know, what happens to these brands when they get purchased and, and how do they grow? And I, I so the perspective you have is really interesting to me. Um, so another thing that I was curious about is a, a new release you guys just have called Spectral Haze. And it's uh, it's a little bit along that same question of, um, you know, 
being a larger brewery or, or having larger distribution. And and the question really is, so, you know, like the haze craze is real in, in craft beer right now, right? There's so many people that want super hazy beers. But then the other thing that people, like a lot of these very hyper-local breweries have, have tried to stress is like, it's hard to do a hazy at large distribution because it's super expensive. Uh, you know, you want it as fresh as possible, only cold storage from this point that it leaves the, the you know, the ferment, the fermenter to the point that you, it hits your lips. Yeah. So, you know, were there any innovations that Blue Point has figured out in order to be able to create a year round haze beer? Yeah, so uh, it's a great question, and and you're right. The the haze craze is real. I mean, you you just you could go into any craft beer store, or frankly, any grocery store at this point, and the amount of hazies as a style. Uh, um, I you know I say that with air quotes because yep. a, a hazy is is you know it, it's not exactly as technically a style of beer, right? It it is. Um, there's a hazy New England. You can have hazy wheat beers, right? There there's all right. kinds of of hazy beers that are out there but what's really stuck is these is these hazy double IPAs right or hazy IPAs and yes it is incredibly difficult to brew a hazy beer at scale um but i think it's something that we really took uh, our brewers really took um a hard look at of you know what are we trying to deliver here because sure the you know other halves of the world are putting out these amazing super fresh you know, double dry hopped hazy IPAs and 16 ounce cans. But to your point, if you're not drinking those, you know, as, as quickly as possible, it's right. really hard. You know, it's, it's just hard to have a have a great tasting experience with one of those. So we, we do have some beers where we make these very small batch, um, super hazy kind of adjunct, you know, all, all the all the sexy hops and ingredients um, that we release on small batches. We have our illusion series and um, a lot of pub exclusive releases that kind of serve that um, consumer or that desire. But with Spectral Haze, we really wanted something that could sit on a grocery store shelf, right? A six pack, which, you know, there's there are, haven't been very many players who have been able to uh, to do that successfully. And I no. still even would love our beer to be slightly hazier, to be honest. But but I think that we've found actually it, much more in the flavor profile, um, a much more approachable style of IPA. And I think that's ultimately what hazies are doing. You know, a few years ago, you know, what everyone was making West Coast, it was hop bombs. It was how, you know, how many IBUs can you put into this thing? Um, very hard, right, from your palate perspective to <laughs> to kind of have a bunch of those, you know, have, you know, uh, have a six pack to yourself. I mean, people do it all the time, right? But definitely not a not a balanced style. And I think what's really been interesting is seeing kind of the New Englands and the hazies come in where you're much more looking for a, an approachable, softer, kind of more tropical, um, way less bitter, way lower on IBUs style. Um, right. Whether or not it's hazy or not is kind of, uh, uh, that's just how, you know, how, how, could, how good is your brewery at at uh, try, trying to get that haze. But I think that it's more of the style that's really appealing to us because we have our kind of original IPA, flagship IPA, Hoptical Illusion. It's been around for, you know, almost 20 years at this point. That's much more West Coast style. That's much more for your kind of traditional IPA drinker. But what we really love about Spectral Haze is that it's such a nice introduction to our brand and, and it's much more of an approachable style. So for us, I we feel like that's in terms of uh, reaching a newer consumer, 
that was kind of more around uh, what we wanted to do versus really focused on, you know, that kind of, of course, all the technical aspects of making a hazy at scale is <laughs> what went behind the scenes. But as we were thinking about how to innovate um, and how to reach a new consumer, because again, we are a 23 year old brewery and um, we're having trouble kind of reaching that younger, newer craft drinker. Um, to us, that's the most exciting thing about the beer. It, I don't know if you've had a chance to try it. It's it's one of my favorites that we're making right now. Um, but I think it it, uh, it it's definitely an impressive feat that we've been able to do it. But by no means does it solve for that, you know, again, really, really kind of high ABV, super hazy, you know, need to get um, it consumed within the, the 30 day window. Um, the other thing that we have uh, <laughs> that is we're very lucky, right, in terms of our resource and our brewery is a pasteurizer. Um, right. And that definitely helps extend our shelf life, right, of that fresh taste and, and that fresh aroma. So you guys just recently went through a rebrand. What was the reason for that? Um, I mean, obviously, you know, it Blue Point's a brand that a lot of people in the New York area knew. Was it, again, to sort of reach this younger demographic you're sort of talking about? Was there like, what was the feeling? Like, where do you get to as a brand that you're like, you know what, it's been 23 years, we need to, we need to rebrand? Um, what was that decision process like? Yeah, it, it's a great question. I mean, there are a lot of lot of internal discussions, debates, um, and we so Blue Point actually went through a rebrand for the first time in about in 2017. Um, okay. For, so from 1998 to 2017, same logo, you know, same toasted lager packaging, um, same you know packaging in general on the shelf, and. In 2017, the brand was really kind of playing catch up to where cra the craft beer scene was, what craft looked like on the shelf. But I mean, as you can imagine, right? And as you know, craft has changed so much in even the last three years, let alone five yeah. years, that one of the one of the things that's always been really important to us is kind of being on the forefront and and uh, pushing the boundaries and pushing the limits and and being market leaders. I mean, back in the day, Blue Point was one of the first brands to have kind of a unique tap handle because our founders knew that that's what was going to stand out on uh, at the bar. So we had these amazing hand-painted ceramic tap handles that are kind of still to this day what we use for some of our some of our varieties. So our summer ale handle, um, our winter ale handle, we have these unique custom tap handles. And we also have the ones that are kind of brand agnostic um, for the rotating accounts. But that was always kind of core to who the brand was. And we wanted to get back to that position of leadership. So our rebrand this time was sure it was about reaching a new consumer, but it was really kind of getting back to what, what blue point was really, you know, has, has always been really, uh, you know, tr true to ourselves and that we wanted to kind of say, okay, this is where we, we might've spent the last few years catching up to where the craft beer industry now is, but now we want to, be, become market leaders again. Um, so that so that was that was the the kind of bigger discussion at first. The 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 other thing um, was art has always been a huge part of the brand, um, music, art, etc. And um, we always partnered with different artists to make all of our packaging designs. But over the years, when we didn't really have a you know a a, a brand hierarchy or a packaging hierarchy, is the art kind of actually got in the way of, of the brand. Um, and on the shelf, you know, we looked like 
each of our packages looked like they maybe came from a different brewery. So that was another thing that <laughs> right. we really wanted to make sure that, you know, we kind of could look at the shelf and say, oh, that's that's all the Blue Point beer, right? Your eyes drawn to it. It has more, much more of a billboard effect. Um, and so when people are in the store, you, you see that craft beer shelf right now at a, at a Whole Foods, right? And it's overwhelming. So I think that that was another thing is like we wanted to be much more findable um, and consistent. Um, the artists that we worked with on all these brands are from around the world. And it was so inspiring and amazing to kind of bring that art into a more organized <laughs> uh, canvas, so to speak. But definitely wanted to make sure that that was, you know, also a, a key piece of this was was getting back again to the roots of the brand, which is supporting, you know, artists and and the beauty of of how art can be packaging can be art, you know, if you if you play your cards right. So very cool. So another question because you guys are sort of on this trend, and I feel like you you might have some insight here. I've been curious about this, so. It seems like a lot of craft breweries, well, not a lot, but a fair number are moving into the spirit space. And Blue Point is one of those craft breweries. And I'm kind of curious as to why and, and why we seem to be seeing that a lot now from lots of different craft breweries. Is it, I mean, obviously, beer is sort of or the, sort of the same idea of beer is the base for spirits in a lot of ways, right? You sort of <laughs> create a brew and then distill it. Um, so it's not like you don't have people who already know how to do that uh, at the brewery, but is there, is there a larger reason you think that this is happening? Yeah. I, I, I think the same question can be asked about seltzer, right. Um, and, yeah. and why a lot of breweries are making non-beer products, you know, as just when you kind of take yourself out of, you know, my shoes, right. You, you go to a restaurant and the, the independent restaurants have figured out that, even if you want to have beer first, you have to offer spirits, you have to offer wine, you have to offer things that different consumers want because, you know, there's a number of people who are gluten-free or, you know, don't like the bitterness of beer. And sure, you can make a sour or you can make a low IBU beer, but it you're not reaching every consumer. And so even at our pub, right, our brew pub, we were selling rosé cider um, as a gluten-free option, and then we were selling some canned wine. And the amount of rosé cider and canned wine we were selling with really just having it on the menu and not pushing it was enough for us to kind of realize that, that there are consumers out there that want different things. And so we, we really have to evolve to, to what the consumer is asking for. Um, so with our canned cocktails, um, that was a, probably two years in the making. I mean, we we probably waited a, a little over a year for our distillery license and then COVID hit. Um, and so we're, we're really excited about where we landed with our cocktails because one of the, you know, I, I don't think we're ever going to get into the, you know, kind of full high end, you know, high, uh, high, um, ABV, like distilled liquor bottles. Like I don't see a world in which we'll ever release a blue point seven fifty milliliter gin or tequila or what have you, okay. but the, but but one of the beauties <laughs> beauties of our you know our packaging line is that we can can and package very very well and and i think that that was very appealing to us as we see the growth of you know of the occasions that people are consuming canned products and we we had a lot of fun with this project i mean we have three different vodka based cocktails you know we're using all natural juice and and ingredients 
we don't have, we're, and we're using all natural cane sugar, no artificial sweeteners. And we, we actually, it's funny, <laughs> we packaged the first test batch and everyone said, oh, that's my favorite. And then we packaged the second test batch and it was like, oh, no, 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 this one's my favorite. And, and it kind of was, was something that I was, we were nervous about, right, with, with uh, some of the brewers and some of the production team that, you know, have really only been tasked with producing craft beer for, for so long. So to extend into new products, we were, you know, a little nervous that how of how well it was going to be received. But we have been selling our our kind of test batches um, in, in our in our uh, pub, and the amount of overwhelming positive feedback we've gotten from our consumers um, has been such that we're just like incredibly excited to roll these out. So I think it, you know, a long long winded way of saying, you know. Not that we're chasing after the consumer, but sometimes you got to listen to what the consumer is telling you they want and not necessarily just forge ahead with what you're right. comfortable with. And I think that that's something that I'm, I'm super proud um, of where we landed with not only our cocktails, but with our Beyond Beer hard tea seltzer, because now we have a real portfolio of brands um, that if someone trusts Bluepoint, right, they can now go beyond just the craft beer aisle um, to, to get into, uh, to, for us to get into their refrigerator. So one last question for you, and I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask it. So obviously you, you've answered a little bit of how I think you do this with the blue point brand, but specifically for beer, you know, there's been a lot of press. I mean, Vine Pear's written about it a bunch. Um, you know, our, our head beer writer, Kat Walensky, she's very like, you know, passionate and bullish about this that, you know, beer has done a really bad job at, at speaking to and appealing to women as a female in the craft beer world, what can and should craft beer be doing better to expand to the female demographic? Because it's, I feel like, you know, we read all these stories about, oh, you know, craft beer doesn't have any time, you know, any place to expand anymore. And (laughs) is, you know, is craft beer sort of all grown out? And when we look at it, we're like, well, yeah, it's completely expanded to white men, but there's this huge demographic of women, people of color, et cetera, that it still is not speaking to. So what what could craft beer be doing better? It's a great question. And yeah, it's not it's not lost on me that uh, there there is a huge amount of runway to um, to reach new consumers. Uh, craft beer is not dead. <laughs> it's just, we need to evolve. And I think the first and foremost, right, is hiring more women and, and different, you know, people of color, different people from different backgrounds um, into craft breweries, because ultimately it, it starts with, with who's actually working there and developing products, right? And for a while, it was not a very diverse industry. And I think that that it's gotten better, but we still have a long way to go. Um, I, I think the other thing that's so exciting about uh, w- you know what we're doing and what we're working on on the innovation front is is looking at different styles that might not necessarily be what the data is telling us is hot right now. So hazy IPAs is, is a great example, right? It's a, it's a pretty polarizing category and an intimidating category, very similar to wine, right? Where, you know, there's a learning curve, you don't want to sound dumb. Um, and so I think a lot of it comes back to education too, right? How do we educate our consumers? How do we reach them in a very approachable way where we're not being overly pretentious? 
And to me, that's something that we're really, you know, that's, that's one of the things that uh, we're influenced our packaging too, to be honest, is how do we look more approachable on the shelf so that it's not this very overwhelming, intimidating shopping experience. It's pretty straightforward. Hey, this is, you know, this is the descriptors of the beer that I'm getting. Um, right. These are graphics that appeal to me that are not, you know, telling me that this is going to be a hot bomb, right? Or, and so your, your question is one that, man, I could probably spend hours like thinking about and dissecting, but I think it ultimately comes back to hiring more diverse teams and bringing different people in with different perspectives, because that's ultimately who's going to be making the decisions on products. And, and two is, is educating and, and being more approachable, not being, uh, not being as stuck up as I think some, some of the craft beer industry has gotten. Um, I think that approachable approachability is, is how a lot of spirits companies have won and, and, and wine companies. So we just got to continue to fight the good fight. And I think we will, um, we have a lot more runway to, to grow craft beer with new audiences. And we just need to kind of stay the course and, and uh, make sure that we're innovating in the right way. Very cool. Well, Carrie, this has been a really interesting conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me about everything uh, new at Blue Point uh, and also just, you know, the craft beer industry in general. I really appreciate it. No, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you love this show as much as we love making it, then please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcast. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. VinePair is produced and recorded in New York City and Seattle, Washington by myself and Zach Jabal, who does all the editing and loves to get the credit. Also, I would love to give a special shout out to my VinePair co-founder, Josh Mallon, for helping me make all this possible. And also to Keith Beavers, VinePair's tasting director, who is additionally a producer on this show. I also want to, of course, thank every other member of the VinePair team who are instrumental in all of the ideas that go into making the show every week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again.